the Lord's Prayer is the series that we're looking at this morning, and we're just looking at each stanza of this series, the Lord's Prayer. And the title this morning of the message is, the, today's message is my declaration of dependence as we look at the third stanza of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily prayer, we, our, our daily bread, rather. We start off talking about our Father who are in heaven, holy is your name. We talked about the first week, we talked about the, God is our Father, the characteristics of God as a Father, that He's a compassionate, consistent, caring Father. Last week we talked about thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. And we're talking, that has to do with being under the lordship of Christ, being under the lordship of Jesus, being under the authority as citizens of the kingdom. We talked about having a kingdom mindset. By the way, these are all online on our website. Uh, if you want to watch the whole service, they're on YouTube, but you can go back and listen to those. And today, this third stanza is in Matthew 6, verse 11, give us today our daily bread. You know, as Americans, one of the sacred documents, if you will, uh, of our founding is the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence where America, these 13 colonies separated from a legal uh, dependency away from the United Kingdom, England, and declared in a statement the Declaration of Independence that we were an independent nation. We were no longer under the rule of King George. Well, you know, this, this sense of independency is really, as human beings, is embedded in our DNA as human beings. We like to be independent, don't we? We like to be rulers uh, of our own destiny. We like uh, we don't like the idea of somebody telling us what to do and how to do it. We like being independent people. And you know, this independence has been embedded since Genesis chapter 3. Because that was the lie of the devil that beguiled our Adam and Eve, our first parents, and said, you don't need to be dependent upon what the Creator is saying. You can operate as a freelance contractor. You can do your own thing. You don't have to be tethered to this creator that gives you these rules and these ways. Look, you can do it your way. Have it your way. You thought Burger King came up with that. Have it your way uh, and be independent. You don't need to listen and follow him. And so uh, that hasn't worked out too well for humanity, has it? And so the Lord says, give us this day our daily bread. When you talk about bread, bread is a, is a universal staple of food, like water, bread. Bread and water, it's the very basic elements of humanity that we need to sustain and survive. Bread is not difficult to make. Uh, now, I didn't say it's, it is going to be good to taste, but it's not difficult to make. That's two separate things. But we, we find bread in every culture. It's a universal staple of life that we can sustain ourselves with. And so Jesus, in connecting this by saying, give us this day 
the daily bread, our daily need, he is teaching us something here. Now, obviously, Jesus is talking more than just physical bread, okay? I like bread. I mean, I like baked stuff. If I had a choice between a bunch of baked items and steak, I'd always going to go with the breads and the baked stuff. I love all that kind of stuff, and it probably shows, right? But, uh, but Jesus is talking more than just the physical bread, and that's where we want to unpack it this morning. And your listener's guide that's in your bulletin, I hope that you make use of that as a tool to follow along and uh, that you can be in, uh, make the investment. You made the investment to come here uh, this morning. You've made the investment uh, to be here this morning. And so make use of the investment of your time this morning as we open up the Word of God. But notice that bread represents several things. It represents the necessities of life. Talking about different ways that bread is symbolic. It's a necessity of our, for our physical body to survive. Uh, God never created anything that he did not provide ahead of time what the creation needs. In fact, he, even, even the little fish in the sea, Psalm 104, verse 25 reads, Here is the ocean, vast and wide, teeming with life of every kind, both large and small. They all depend on you, the psalmist says, all depend on you, Lord, to give them food as they need it. When you supply it, they gather it. You open your hand to feed them, and they are richly satisfied. Even the little fish in the ocean, God is the provider. Remember, we'll maybe refer to this a little later, that Jesus used the analogy of how God cares for the birds, the nature. How much more does he care for you? And so the necessities of life. A few weeks back, Sean and I were in the Dominican Republic, and uh, I have a picture on the screen that one of the, uh, one of the uh, aspects of the Cups missions there is the uh, bakery that they have. Now, this is one of the bakeries, I believe, in Upper Zion is the area, and there's others there. That, uh, and that part of the baking of bread is not only a way to uh, try to supplement a little bit of the mission, but also as a way to minister to the community and giving them something tangible uh, to eat. And the next picture we was one of the team where we went out. Those are Sean's hands. Sorry, I didn't have a real good picture of you. But that's him holding that uh, large container there. And that's out at the uh, infamous garbage dump and where they had made sandwiches. But this bread came from that bakery uh, that you just saw the picture of. Uh, and uh, it is good bread. Let me tell you something. They'd have a run on Publix Bakery if they were making that here in the States. It's good bread, and that's part of, again, the vision there. But again, bread, a basic necessity. You won't die if you've got bread and water, all right? And so the need of bread is a necessity. Notice also bread in the Bible represents God's Word. Remember in Matthew 4, uh, Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Bible talks about uh, manna. You remember in the Old Testament when the Israelites were in the wilderness that God provided this manna, a bread-like substance supernaturally that fed those Israelites for 40 years. Manna literally means, manna means, what is it? That's what it means. But it, it fed them and took care of them 
and they collected it six days, doubled up on the sixth day because it wasn't something they could collect on the Sabbath day. But God used that picture of the bread to picture again His provision spiritually in their life. And we'll talk more about that. Jeremiah said, and it won't be on the screen, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 15, 16, he said, Your words were found and I ate them. Picturing the Word of God as something that I digested, that I took in. The Word of God is the real soul food. Now I know some of you might know how to cook soul food, but this is the real spiritual soul food that we need. Also, bread in the Bible represents God's family or fellowship. Just showing you how the different ways that bread is pictured here. Not just talking about uh, the physical bread. But it speaks about that God recognizes that we have uh, uh, relational needs. Not only do we have physical needs, but we have relational needs. And so bread represents, or as a metaphor, that uh, the family of God. You say, well, where do you see that? 1 Corinthians 10.16, in the Amplified, where it's a synonym for fellowship, Paul writes, the bread which we break, does it not mean that in eating it, we participate in and share a fellowship or a communion in the body of Christ? We're going to partake of communion a little later on. And one of the ways that the bread certainly is uh, pictured there is in something that uh, involves a relational component of our fellowship as the family of God. The Bible says in Acts 2.42 that the early church, as they received the Holy Spirit, it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and in the breaking of bread. So it was kind of a metaphor in speaking about the fellowship that we have. But also bread, uh, it, it speaks about salvation in Christ. As I said in a little bit, we'll partake of communion, and we oftentimes read from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four in recounting, Paul recounting when Jesus at the Last Supper, at the Passover meal, uh, the Bible says that eleven twenty four of 1 Corinthians, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this, this bread is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So many ways that bread is pictured and used in Scripture. And this morning, as we look at give us, give us this daily bread, give us our daily bread in Matthew 6, 11, that I want us to kind of focus in around this idea that when we're asking God to give us, I'm not there yet, uh, but when we ask that God to give us something, is that we're asking God to give us uh, that means that we are dependent upon Him. Everything that I have, everything that I need, God wants to build in us a dependency to depend on Him. And that involves faith. That involves trust. Hebrews eleven six says, And it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards, that He gives to those who sincerely seek Him. But it, get, it begins by faith or trust. Matthew 6.25, a text following the Lord's Prayer, says, that is why I tell you, Jesus said, not to worry. Matthew 6.25 and 26. He said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or 
enough clothes to wear? Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? And this is where he says in verse 26, look at the birds, look at nature. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them, provides for them. And then he says, are you not more what? Valuable to him than they are. If he cares for little birds and animals and plants and all those things, how much more valuable are those that are created as image bearers that at creation he breathed his spirit into that hunk of clay, that hunk of dirt. Verse 30 of Matthew 6. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Some of you need to hear that today because you're not sure that you can really rely and trust in God. You're having a, a struggle of distrust. Maybe, and again, it's not saying you don't love God, but there's a struggle, there's a tension there uh, of things that are happening in your life. And so what does it mean to depend on God? What does it mean to depend on God? Give us this day. Give us. We're asking for something. We're acknowledging that I'm dependent on you. Right here, the third, right out of the box. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us what we need. Give us this daily bread. And I encourage you this morning as we look through this before we take communion, make use of that little listener's guide as there's things in there to engage you, to help you stay more focused this morning on the text. As I said, you made the investment to come, then make use of your time here, and maybe the Lord will be teachable, have a teachable spirit, and say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a decision right now. I'm going to be engaged in the Word. I'm going to be teachable and, and listen and learn today in talking about being more dependent upon you. I want you to notice three things here this morning of what depending on God means, and that's number one, seeing God as my source. Seeing God as my source. That's the very first thing. And recognizing that everything, everything I need, everything that there is that God has made, everything in the world and the universe, God is the source of everything. Now, I know there are those that want to, you know, have you believe that everything just kind of popped out of a cosmic soup somewhere billions and trillions of years ago. But let me tell you something. That takes a little more faith than to believe that there's a designer who's made. You look at the world. You look at the orderliness of creation and seasons. You look at life. You look at birth. You look at just the way matter functions and has been functioning for, for thousands of years. I don't know how many years, and scientists don't know any more than, than we do. It's, a lot of times it's an educated guess. But let's just say it's been a long time, okay? Can we agree to that? It's been a long time. And you look at the orderliness of creation, and it just goes against the idea that something out of disorder produces order. You with me? Something out of disorder doesn't produce order. God is the source. The testimony of Scripture is the Creator God. And there's several things that we need to remember 
And again, these are already written out in your listener's guide. One is that everything is a gift from God. Listen, the air that you breathe, the heart that's beating inside of you. I don't think we have the tin man here. Was it the tin man that wanted the heart? No, or was it the, the lion? Sorry, I'm, I'm not up on my Wizard of Oz trivia. I think our daughter's seen it like a hundred times. But everything, all right, don't, don't get lost on Dorothy. Let's get back. All right, I digress. Everything is a gift from God. You can't earn it. You can't earn your breath. You can't earn your heartbeat. You can't earn life. You can't earn the sunlight. All the things that keep you alive, everything is a gift from God. Everything's a gift from God. Your ability to get here, your ability to sit there in a frame of mind, everything is a gift from God. And you know when we realize the lack of the gift is when something starts to fall apart in our body and our life, and all of a sudden that little arm or that little pinky finger or something that we just took for granted starts to hurt and cause pain. All of a sudden we think, how did I get along so long without paying attention to that little muscle or whatever it is in my body? Everything, God, you've blessed me with and given to me is your gift. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from God above. We need to give God acknowledgement that it's a gift of God as our source. Secondly, there's nothing I need. There's nothing I need that God cannot provide. That's the second thing. There's nothing that I need. Philippians 4.19, my God will use his wonderful riches in Christ Jesus to give you everything you need. You realize that sometimes what we think we need, we don't really need. Sometimes what we think, oh, I need this, I really don't. And you know one of the things that is a curse to some of us is that stinking Amazon. Now some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Because it makes that immediacy of something I need. I didn't, know, I didn't know I needed that espresso machine that makes toast and a waffle, and I didn't know I needed that, all, whatever it is. I mean, there's the immediacy that with one click, it's on your doorstep the next day. And you got it for the next week driving it around trying to figure out how to take it back where the Amazon store is. I mean, we think we need so much, and that is one of the many values when you travel overseas or go on a... Cuff's Mission or go to Brazil or the Hanleys or somewhere else, and you're around people that live and are joyful with so little of the things that we think are necessities. My God, Paul says, will use his wonderful riches in Christ Jesus to give you everything you need. Another aspect of learning God is our source is the fact that God wants to give it to us. Matthew 7, 11, if you then, talking about the giving of God, and, and Jesus makes this comparison, if you, if you then, though you are evil, talking about humanity, people, regular folks, if you, though you are sinful, evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, I mean, look, if, if, if you in a very basic unregenerate way, know how to be nice and caring to your children, 
Again, here's the comparison. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? If my child comes to me and says, Daddy, I'm hungry, I don't give him a piece of rubber to go and chew on it. I want to figure out how I'm going to meet that need. You're hungry. Well, what can we do to give you something to eat? Listen, God wants to give and bless His children. Sometimes people have this idea that God is this tyrant, that He's looking just to make your life miserable. Listen, that is a lie from hell. God wants to give it to us. And if I know how to meet that basic need, how much more, infinitely more, does God? And James 4.2 says that God is, in many times of this dependency of seeing Him as our source, that He's waiting on me. James 4.2 says, Yet you do not have because you do not, what? Ask. Jesus said in that same chapter of Matthew 7, verse 7 says, Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. That's a persistency. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open to them. Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus says, I will do it. So the question is, if we're to see God as my source, who is your source today that you're depending on? I hope it's not Washington. I hope it's not the next election cycle. Listen, if that's where you're tethering your your, uh, your hope, my friend, let me give you a little insight now. You're going to be greatly disappointed. You're going to be greatly disappointed. Wall Street, the East Coast casino called Wall Street, I mean, your job, you may not have a job this year. Again, where is your source? Where have you tethered your hope to? Oftentimes we look to everywhere else but God to meet our needs. It's like the old song, looking for love in all the wrong places. No man, ladies, will ever meet all your needs. Men, no woman will meet all your needs. Marriage. So many people go into marriage and say, oh, I found the perfect person. No, you haven't. There's only one perfect person. And see, what folks do is they're looking for somebody to fill this gap in their life. And after a while, maybe the nicest person, great person, whatever, but they realize that that is not, that person cannot do that. Because God has made us to where we can only be satisfied by Him. Have a good marriage. Have both people Longing for that same goal of wanting to be satisfied by, by Christ. Only God can meet your needs. You look to God for your security, seeing Him as your source. Notice, secondly, second principle of being dependent upon God is seeking God one day at a time. We seek Him. Give us this day our, what? Daily. We don't say give us our monthly bread, give us our annual bread, give us our 
Daily bread. You know how you get daily bread? You get it daily. When I was in the Ukraine several years ago, twice was over there for part of a summer teaching and different times and was a few years after, you know, the Ukraine was under the domain of the Soviet Union uh, before they became an independent nation. And one of the things that struck me when I went there was, like in a lot of countries, how different it is that people go to market and buy groceries. And one of the things that I noticed that in the homes that we went in, one of the things that was a characteristic of just about every home we went in is they made daily trips to the local bakery and always had fresh bread in the home from the baker. And I thought, wow. And I thought, I'll do that. Well, that doesn't really work in America, right? You know, and... Uh, but there's something about that daily sense of getting that daily bread. And the Lord says, look, I'm going to make this really simple. I want you to take life into really small, bite-sized pieces, 24-hour increments, and I want you to trust me just for that 24-hour cycle. Trust me, give us this day, my daily bread. It's interesting that uh, somewhere in the 50s, I think 50s, maybe 60s, but more 50s. Remember how bread was a synonym for money? Watch an old dragnet. You know, where they're trying to... You ever watch some of those old shows you grew up with, some of us grew up with? You know, and they're trying to show the hippies, you know? And they use this slang, and you just laugh, because, hey, give me bread, man. You know, I mean, you're like, oh, that's so, that's so dated, Right? But bread became that synonym for, for money. Give us this day our, our, what we need to, to meet our needs in this 24-hour cycle, this daily bread. Four things here, four things that are looking at uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 8. And again, that, that scripture as a whole, I'm going to read it, and then we'll break it down, but it's printed in your handout there. Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And there's some things that we're going to break it down to these four things that are in your handout. You can put it down here so you'll remember it. Number one in Philippians says, don't worry about anything. Worry about nothing. Worry about nothing. Matthew 6, 34, Jesus says, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today, worry about nothing. Why is worry a big deal? Because worry is a sin. You can't have faith and trust in God and worry and doubt God at the same time. Someone said that worry is practical atheism. Think about that. Because every time you're worry, you're questioning and doubting whether God can really handle this and come through in this situation. 
Philippians 4, 6 through 8 also says, secondly, pray about everything. Worry about nothing. Secondly, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. You got two choices. You can worry and get hyperventilating anxiety over the situation, or you can pray. And by praying, by praying, you're acknowledging God, you're my source, and I'm praying and asking you and acknowledging you are the one who can handle and meet this need in my life. You can pray or panic, worry or worship. It says pray, don't worry about, worry about nothing, pray about everything. And thirdly, verse 6, thank God in all things. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He's done. I think I have the New King James Philippians 4, 6 there where it says, be anxious for nothing. Will you go see the next? There you go. Be anxious for nothing, but notice that word, but in everything. Notice it doesn't say for everything. I'm not thanking God for cancer. That's crazy. I'm not thanking him because my child was injured. I'm not thanking him for, but in everything. In everything, I'm acknowledging a thankfulness to him because, God, you are my source. God, you are my protector. God, you are the one that is giving me the grace and the wisdom (coughs) to navigate the troubled waters that I'm in. In, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And fourth, Philippians verse 6 through 8 tells us to think about right things. <coughs> it says, Don't worry about anything. Verse 6, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true. And He gives you a list here. What is true, honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think. Set your mind on these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Where do you find things that are pure and lovely to think about? Hulu. Netflix. Prime. What? It, no. And again, don't go out and say, oh, I've got to burn my cable bill. I'm not talking about that. Where do you get that? You get it from the truth of God's word. You develop a mindset of thinking, filling your mind with the word of God. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says that you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. 
I like that word fix back in verse 8. I don't know if you go back to verse 8 there, the Philippians. When you fix something, you set it. You know, in your, in your car, if there's some of you that still listen to radio stations, uh, and you want to set, preset one of those setting dials, numbers, and you like Joy FM, and you punch that button, what are you doing? You're fixing, so when you punch three, guess what? You're going to get Joy FM, or you're going to get whatever it is, because you fixed it ahead of time. You've determined that I'm going to set, I'm going to make a deliberate action, that I'm going to fill my mind with a godly train of thinking Sometimes, just because something is under the guise of news and information, a documentary doesn't mean you need to fill your mind with all the sordid evils that they're telling you about. There's many times, and, and I, listen, I, I, I like watching crime shows and I'm a sucker for court TV, sit there and watch through the minutia of a court case that I'm interested in or whatever. And sometimes in those documentaries, it seems like in the past 10 years, there's really no limit of what they will detail, delve into. And so many times the Holy Spirit says, you don't need that in your brain. You don't need to know every evil, rotten thing that that killer did and fill your mind with that. Sometimes even... In the news, there's stuff and there's information. You're just like, you know what? I could live without that. I don't need to know that. Does that mean you go off and become an Amish and make your own water? No, I'm not talking about that. Okay? I'm not talking about that. But you and I need to have discernment. You know what discernment is? Discernment means to cut it straight and say, I need to develop a filter just like many of you have filters <coughs> for your water. Why do you have a filters for your water? Why don't you just go dig it out of the toilet and drink it? Huh? We do that with entertainment. Right? You see, the mind, that's where the attack is. I don't know about you, but that's where the enemy attacks me. In my mind, my thinking. Colossians 3.2 says again, Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. You know how we do that? You do it because you're here today. You're setting your mind on things above. You open up and read scripture. You listen to godly teaching and, and music and worship that's going to feed your soul. Set your mind. Fix your thoughts. There's a third thing. Actually, the third and last. We talked about seeing God as my source. Seeing God as the one that everything comes from Him. Everything is a gift. Praying about everything. Keeping my mind set on Him. And there's a third principle of learning to depend on God. And that's sharing whatever he gives. Sharing whatever He gives. Do you realize the reason God blesses us 
is that for us not to be hoarders. Talk about TV shows. You ever watch one of those? Some of you grew up living like that. God has never intended us to be blessed and keep blessings where we hoard them for ourselves. He's meant for us to live lives that where that his blessing is channeled through us. Notice what it says in verse 11. Give us. It doesn't say give me. Give us. This is something communion, community. Why does God want you to share it? Why does God want you to be a giver? Guess what? Because that's his character. God is a giver. John 3.16. If you've ever watched an NFL game, you know this scripture. For God so loved the world. Remember the guy with the colored hair? I don't think he's around anymore. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. Giving giving is a characteristic of God. God created us in his own image as image bearers. What does he want us to do to emulate his character is to be giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. God says, I want you to have my heart. And you know one of the ways that oftentimes God puts that to the test in our life, practically? That's the number one way I think God often tests most people. Is we say, God, I want your blessing in my life. I want a good job. I want provision. I want all these things. But when I get them, God, I just want to keep them for myself. I just want to keep them for myself. Look in your outline there of these important principles in the last part of our study this morning. Number one, what God gives to me, he wants to give through me. What God gives to me, what God gives to me, he wants to give through me. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 12. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, he will, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. I want God to give me a generous spirit, a generous heart. Because I found the more I try to hold on to, the less I keep. God, make us a generous giver. And knowing that, God, what you bless my life with, you're doing it so that I, in turn, become that funnel. I become that conduit, if you will. God, I don't want to be a cup. I want to be a straw. I don't want to be a cup that just takes and fills stuff up, but I want to be that straw, that channel that through me that other people are blessed, whether it's physical needs and special blessings. And, and you know what? This church is a generous church, and you funnel it through sometimes me anonymously to give to this person, or you give it to the church to meet a need and said, well, I don't want them to know who did it, whatever. That happens a lot around here. We are blessed to be a blessing. I want you to look in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It'll be on the screen. I don't think it's in your outline. <clears throat> Deuteronomy is a great book. In fact, in 
Matthew 4, when Jesus was in the wilderness, remember where he was experiencing those three temptations and that 40 days and 40 nights, and he quoted scripture, you should not live by bread alone, and quoted other scriptures there about not putting the Lord to a test, and you should worship the Lord your God and him alone. All of that was taken out of the book of Deuteronomy, that he, those scripture quotations there. The book of Deuteronomy is Moses' last words or sermon, if you will, that he gave the Israelites before they entered into Canaan, into the promised land. Remember, Moses wasn't allowed to go himself, and so the entire book of Deuteronomy is Moses' last will and testament of words to those, that generation that was born in that wilderness that was going to go in and take possession. That's the context there. And in chapter 8, I want you to notice some words that he's speaking to them. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 6 through 7, Moses, the word of the Lord says, So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and fearing Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush out into the valleys and hills. That's Canaan, the promised land. Verse 10. When you have eaten your fill, be sure. I think the King James might say here, remember. Be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land that He has given you. But that is the time, verse 11, to be careful. Listen. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey His commands, regulations, decrees that I'm giving to you today. Verse 18. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. Why? In order to fulfill the covenant that He confirmed to your ancestors. In order to fulfill and make Put in action the covenant promises. He says He has given you the power. In fact, we might be more familiar with the verse 18 in the, in the New King James where it says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. Yeah. Why? So you can build bigger houses and buy planes and do all... No, 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 no. So that... Don't miss this. That he might establish or fulfill his covenant. What's the principle? God has blessed you. God has resourced you. God has given you the ability to attain wealth. Now you realize wealth is a, is a relative term. The poorest among you here today are millionaires compared to the folks in the DR. The average person. What, 500 bucks a month was, would be considered a kind of middle class-ish, decent salary? 500 a month. Some of the pastors support families on $500 a month. Could you do that? No, I don't think you could. Why has God given you, the church, our nation, such an abundance of resources 
Because God wants and designed it this way for him to fulfill his purposes and blessing and the advancement, I'll even say advancement of his kingdom purposes by resourcing his people to do that. That's why he's done that. And again, it ain't always money. Money is the most common way. But you know, the Bible talks about time, talent, and your treasures. There's multiple ways. I've known people in churches that I've pastored who weren't necessarily able to give financially in, in large ways or any way. I, I, I don't believe any way because I believe everybody can do something. Read the widow's might. Okay? You can give something. But my point is, oftentimes they said, how about I do X, Y, Z that the church is paying somebody to do? I will do that as my giving to the church. You see, it starts with a mentality of saying, what can I do? What has God put in my hands? Just like he told Moses before Pharaoh, he was getting ready to meet Pharaoh, and he had that staff, and the Lord said, Yahweh says, Moses, what's in your hand? And that's the thing. What is in your hand? What do you have that you can give to the Lord? God says, when you do that, I'm going to open a door of blessing in your life. There's a second principle. Isaiah 58. When I meet others' needs, God takes care of mine. Isaiah 58, verse 7 through 9. Share your food with the hungry and open your homes to the homeless poor. Give clothes to those who have nothing to wear and do not refuse to help your own relatives. I don't know why I smiled at that one. Sometimes they're the ones the most difficult, right? Do not refuse to help your own relatives. Verse 8. Then, then my favor will shine on you like the morning sun and your wounds will be quickly healed. I will always be with you to save you. My presence will protect you on every side and when you pray, I will answer you. When God, when I meet the needs of others, God meets my needs. Some of you know who Robert Morris is, pastors in Dallas, Texas, and the statement that he wrote in one of his books that's worth reading, and I think it'll be on the screen. He said, believers cannot be truly happy or at peace as long as they remain largely focused upon themselves and their own needs, wants, and hurts. Only in becoming outwardly focused on ministering to the needs of others can they experience real satisfaction and a sense of purpose. And then he talks to pastors. He says, and thus, we pastors do them a great disservice if we allow people to continue to see themselves primarily as recipients of ministry rather than deliverers of ministry. The third principle is whatever I give to God, He multiplies. You give Him your talent, He'll multiply your gift. Your energy, He'll multiply your energy. Your time, your money, your relationships. Jesus said in Luke 6.38, Give and you will receive. <clears throat> Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. 
running over and poured out into your lap. The amount you give, listen to this, will determine the amount you give, get back. You give thimble-sized blessing, guess what blessing size you're going to get back? Thimble. Maybe a Dixie cup. Remember Jesus in John 6, feeding of the 5,000? John 6, 8 through 9. A little boy came to Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. And they said, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. And what did Jesus take about, what did he do in taking that which was so little? What did he do? He fed 5,000 people. And in fact, the Bible says in verse 11, that Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. And afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. And they picked up the pieces, filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. God will always give you more than you can handle if you take what is little and you put it in God's hands to be a blessing to him and to others. That he's glorified and the needs of his people are met. Oftentimes we pray, Lord, provide for that need for so-and-so. God, provide for that need on the mission field. Provide for this need. And all the time the Lord is saying, you know what? You've got a little extra money. You can meet that need. You could do that and wouldn't even flinch. God has designed us to be givers because He is a giver. Proverbs eleven twenty four: Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. You know, the early church was a great model. And we love to talk about the early church and the modeling of the church but we don't like to talk about the persecution that came with it. <clears throat> but in Acts 2, verse 46 and 47, notice the pattern of this generosity, this generous spirit that was fully dependent upon the Lord. And I've actually combined some various translations, so that's why it's a little bit longer and some things are stretched out. And this is Acts 2, verse 46 and 47. Daily they continued to meet together, and worship together in the temple courts. They, the early church, fellowship together in their homes with communion and eating together, sharing whatever they had with joyful and generous hearts. They praised God together. And as a result, the whole city liked them. So every day, more and more people were being saved. And daily, daily, the Lord added to their number the number of believers in the church. I want... And I hope you want Grace Church to be marked not by our seating capacity, but by our giving capacity. Not by our seating capacity, but by our sending capacity. That's what is a mark of a healthy, godly church that's full of people that are dependent upon Him.